Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone. It is your favorite legal podcast, Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. This is your host, Adam Childers. I'm coming to you from the Crow's Nest in downtown Oklahoma City in our beautiful Oklahoma City office, one of our three offices, the other two being in Tulsa and Dallas. And I am very excited. It is a new year. It is 2021. We no longer have to talk about 2020, but we still have some of those leftover problems from 2020 uh, plaguing us. And one of those is COVID-19. That's right. Uh, The disease that still bears a year from two years ago is here with us in 2021. And what I thought we would do today, loyal listeners, is talk about some employment-related issues related to COVID-19. But for once, It won't be all those uh, terrible things. It'll maybe be something a little bit more hopeful. And that's talking about the vaccines that are out there. As we sit here uh, today, there's at least two that are authorized for use uh, in the United States under an emergency use authorization. That's uh, one from Moderna and one from Pfizer. Uh, The numbers are are continuing to to pile up in terms of those who have been vaccinated, uh, perhaps not as swiftly as everyone had hoped, but they are beginning to mount uh, at uh, this. uh, We're closing in around the middle of January at the time of this taping, and uh, we've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 million Americans who have at least received the first of their inoculations. Uh, Both of these, Moderna and Pfizer, require a second booster shot. Uh, And I think the last numbers we've seen from the CDC says around 150,000 people have received both rounds of their vaccinations. So it's a slow progress, but it's progress nonetheless. And it obviously has piqued the interest of the business community as we here and the labor and employment section at Crow and Dunleavy continue to hear from clients and business leaders and community leaders about whether or not they should consider a mandatory vaccination program for Uh, their employees. And so knowing that's on the minds of our uh, clients and friends across uh, this great state, I thought, who better to talk to than my friend and law partner, Tanya Bryant, who I have invited here today. Say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here, Adam. Well, thanks, Tanya. I am happy to have you here. For those of you uh, listening uh, on your devices, wherever you may be, uh, many of you uh, are probably very familiar with Tanya. She is, uh, you know, well known on the scenes and uh, human resources circles. In fact, she is the general counsel for the Oklahoma City Human Resources Society, where you will see her uh, usually when there's monthly meetings to attend, but not as many of those in person uh, these days. But that's okay. She's made sure to help um, supplement uh, the agenda with some great. Uh, legal seminars that we've put on through Zoom, and she's also uh, just very involved in making sure that 
OCHRS and really the HR community in general across the state gets taken care of. And we greatly appreciate her for all that work. I should also mention that uh, Tanya is by far the most uh, fashion conscious of those of us in the labor and employment section. I am lucky to try to put together something that matches on a good day. And Tanya is always uh, fashionably aware of her surroundings. And uh, so if you ever have a chance to see her office and see how she puts everything together, um, then don't judge me harshly when you see mine in uh, comparison. But Tanya, enough about our uh, relative uh, skills within the worlds of fashion. Let's focus on today's uh, topic at hand, which is mandatory vaccinations. And I thought, you know, let's let's start at perhaps at the beginning, at least the beginning of uh, this pandemic that we're in. Take us back in time to March of 2020. A lot of us remember in the immediate wake of this pandemic, we found that employers were taking temperatures of employees before they came in. It was even happening at restaurants and bars, and that was kind of a new one for everyone. Tell us how, why that's important and the evolution of how the EEOC got to the point where that was even allowed in a workplace. Well, Adam, uh, the the evolution of the temperature taking, I think, stems back um, to when the flu vaccine came out, um, employers were permitted to mandate flu vaccines uh, because of uh, the possibility of a direct threat. And a direct threat would be if an employee was going to be um, or cause harm to an individual uh, other than himself or the employee himself or herself. And so the EEOC, uh, when they weighed in, uh, decided that that their position would be that uh, employers would be allowed to mandate flu vaccines. So, so let me ask you about that then. So you're saying that kind of we, we don't even have to go back to the pandemic. We can go back to just the common influenza, that there's at least been some latitude given to employers to to force that kind of vaccine. But is that only in a healthcare setting? I mean, I, we were seeing these in banks and, you know, uh, you know, retail shops, really other places than you might ordinarily think of them in, in, in when it comes to influenza. Well, it's not only in a healthcare setting, although the healthcare settings would be the uh, most prevalent um, uh, employer that would um probably mandate a flu vaccine. An employer can mandate um, or could mandate the flu vaccine and still can. Um, Taking into consideration, though, whether the employee uh, has either a disability or has um, a sincerely held religious belief that would exempt that employee from um, taking the vaccine. So what happens if, so if I'm an employee and I think that I have a medical condition that precludes me from getting the vaccine, or if I'm just someone whose religious beliefs would be compromised by 
receiving the vaccination? What What is the employer's obligation? What happens there? Well, the employer is obligated to um, accommodate or uh, look for an accommodation for that employee. And the under the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, the employer must engage in the interactive process, which is a, a dialogue with the employee, to discuss um, how that employee can be accommodated because that employee can't take the vaccine. So is it a reasonable accommodation then to allow an employee to not take the vaccination if by doing so they could pose a direct threat to themselves or others? Well, the reasonable accommodation um, would entail the um, finding another um, way to protect the employee uh, and those around that employee, whether that be another job duty, um, a, a mask and a shield. Um, so kind of resorting back to some of these other social distancing and PPE precautions, that might be a way to, to get to that point. So, right. More, more um, protection um, and not just the vaccine. Now, I understand that these days with COVID-19, that we're wearing masks along with um, the vaccine. Um, but there are things that an employer can look at, um, depending upon, of course, the employee's position, um, their job duties, what type of employer or employment um, environment um, the employee works in. I mean, there it, it's really a um, it, it's really going to be an individualized assessment of each employee, but the but the employer does need to follow the Americans with Disabilities Act and make sure that that the employer looks at what potential accommodations can be given to that employee. Okay. So here's what I'm hearing then. We have evolved to a point where not only was a mandatory vaccination program really allowed for in the past, but we certainly see the EEOC evolving in its stance and allowing for it in the midst of a pandemic under this direct threat, um, you know, policy or, or, or legal standard. And that other than having to go through these accommodation processes through Title VII or the ADA, really that opens the door, it sounds like, to mandatory vaccination programs. But I'm wondering, are there any other considerations out there, any other hiccups that could pose a problem to an employer that says, well, gee, I'd like to do everything I can to get those numbers at a higher rate. Do you see anything out there that employers should be thinking about? Sure. Uh, there is the, you mentioned the emergency use authorization. The the EUA um, poses, it does pose a problem for employers because the EUA requires that someone who is um, faced with giving or getting the vaccination needs to be advised by whomever is giving it that they do not have to take the vaccination and so employers 
that might want to implement a mandatory vac- uh, COVID vaccination program, um, that would not be um, consistent with the EUA uh, because the EUA doesn't require that the person not take or th- that the person who declines the vaccine does so on the basis of a disability or religious belief. Yeah. And I, so I've, I've seen this. It, it's, it's fascinating. Um, a lot of employment practitioners didn't really key in on this at the, at the beginning, but I think you're exactly right in that the, the statute that controls emergency use authorizations for vaccinations and other medicines clearly says that because it's given on an emergent basis, they want those individuals who are going to receive it to understand what the consequences are for refusing to take that. And that means disclosing to them that they don't have to take it, which really undoes the entire concept of a mandatory vaccination program. So I'm glad you brought that to the attention of our listeners, because even though the EEOC has essentially greenlit the idea and concept of a mandatory vaccination program, I don't think there's any way that you can avoid that the EUA on its face, at least until it's expired, uh, really puts employers in a little bit of a tough bind having to make that kind of disclosure while at the same time trying to make it mandatory. So I guess that leads us to this final area that I want to focus on for our listeners, which is best practices. I mean, you always want to walk away from a discussion like this thinking, well, then what's the best thing that I can be doing? What are your, what's your counsel and advice? What are your thoughts for employers on what is the best practice then in terms of these vaccinations? Should they, should they go out on a limb and and make it mandatory or is there some other intermediate step that they should consider? Well, I think that employers can, they can encourage their employees to take the vaccine in a positive way and not in uh, and not have a mandatory vaccination program because the the EUA will come up um, eventually and employers really need to be aware of that so just encouraging employees um, giving the employees uh, truthful and um, accurate information about the vaccination, giving the employees access to this information so that they will be able to make an informed choice, uh, giving the employees time off from work in order to get the vaccination. Uh, just be, uh, just have an open, encouraging, uh, open door policy and positive environment, um, promoting you know, a wellness and a disease-free workplace without, you know, crossing the boundaries of the, you know, federal law that um, that employers need to abide by. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. It's, it's a good positive message too. I should mention you 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 said that there's at least a possibility you could incentivize your employees by I, by 
uh, paying for their time off. To, there is no requirement that at, at this point uh, to do that. But who knows? In the new administration, we may very well see something like that. But I think it, you're right. It's something that employers ought to at least discuss and, and think about um, as a policy. The latest numbers I saw were trending that, you know, you're still only seeing about a 40 percent positive rate of of those being asked, will you take the vaccination? So if you need 80% to get to herd immunity, then we're we're well away from getting to that point. So I think all of us are going to be concentrating on topics like this. Well, it's it's a topic that's not going to go away uh, soon, unfortunately, but one that you and others in the group are keeping you know close tabs on so we appreciate your insight into those issues now before i let you go tanya we you know have a habit of making sure that we at least uh, also give you and uh, others that are on this program the opportunity to showcase a little bit of your personality in a section we like to call Get to Know Your Crow. Uh, since we're with you today, Tanya, let me ask of you what I've asked of others on the program. In these days of quarantine, uh, long days where sometimes we've spent more time in the house and uh, watching our various streaming devices than ever before, Tell our listeners what are you, what have you been watching? What would you recommend uh, that they uh, that they watch to kind of get themselves through these quarantine days? Well, I have spent a lot of time <laughs> on uh, on uh, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, probably just like everyone else, and I have come across a. Um, a network called Acorn. Acorn. Yes, and it has plenty, a plethora of uh, crime and investigative TV dramas. What's your favorite of the bunch? Wisting is my favorite now, and uh, these it, Wisting is the name of the detective. Um, so ah, I see. Yes, and you know, dark and gloomy and. Um, you know, very, um, very. Sounds atmospheric. Yes, atmospheric. That's the perfect word. Um, the, these types of programs just really uh, draw me in and I can end up spending way too much time on them when I should be doing other things. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, that's just, uh, I don't know, being a lawyer, it's uh, it's interesting. It's uh you know, the other side, uh, criminal instead of civil. So I, I well, that's good. That's good. That's good to know about. I'm always looking for something new and different. I found two of those things today. I did not know about acorn and I did not know about wisting. So I'll just put that on my long list of other shows that I got to get to at some point, uh, when, uh, everything else isn't keeping us busy, but, um, well, thank you for you know, that, uh, uh, pulling back the the curtain a little bit on uh, what makes you Tanya and uh, what makes you such a great part of our uh, firm's labor and employment section. And with that, we're going to bring things to a close. I want to thank each and every one of you out there for once again joining us on Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy, as well as today by your labor and employment section. Please be sure and subscribe to receive Crow and Dunleavy advisories and event invitations, which will be uh, in your email inbox at crowdunlevy.com slash subscribe. Also, you can always find us at crowdunlevy.com, as well as on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Uh, these are the social platforms where you can find us on a nearly daily 
basis. So until next time, on behalf of the law firm of Crow and Dunlavy, thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Briefly Legal.